0: This is the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast, episode number 25. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to our podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. On the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion today. Joining us again, back by popular demand, is one Daryl D.A. Bulkey. We're going to talk about, well, I'll put it to you this way. Daryl wants to rant a little bit, and I said, come on the show and let's rant. And it has to do with uh, some internet tomfoolery that's floating around, and maybe some bad information as it pertains to marksmanship. But first, let's talk today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by RangeTech Bluetooth Shot Timers. Every serious shooter should have a shot timer to measure speed along with accuracy on the range. The new RangeTech Bluetooth Timer is the most affordable, high-tech, and most feature-rich timer on the market. $25 less than the competing shot timers. Range Tech Timer connects to your phone via Bluetooth and gives you accuracy and power of a dedicated shot timer, along with the advantages of online storage, auto scoring, and much, much more. Learn more at Rangetechtimer.com. Also, newest sponsor CCW Safe for all of your self-defense connected legal service needs. I got to call them and get a get a little better plug for their their product here but ccwsafe.com forward slash off duty 10 uh, off duty 10 for 10 off your legal service membership they are the best in the industry and to my knowledge they are the only ones who have provided a successful defense to someone wrongfully charged with a murder in a self-defense shooting check them out i know these guys they're great dudes they, they, uh, they actually office right down the road from the Beat Lab here where the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is recorded. Final sponsor for this episode, as always, will be EDC Belt Company, home of the Foundation Belt, the Foundation Concealed Carry Belt, the most comfortable, functional concealed carry belt on the market. Check them out at Co. Dot com and as always links to the sponsors will be in the show notes let's bring in our guest db welcome back to the off-duty on-duty podcast it's been like uh, 10 episodes here we are we're back you texted me the other day and you had something pressing that i thought was very applicable based on that article that we kind of both went over that I, I I gotta admit it kind of raised uh, <laughs> raised <I>, your hackles. Oh, <laughs> quite a bit. I was like, you know, <laughs> tell me your thoughts on that. It, you mentioned uh, kind of a topic about uh, when to shoot and when to shoot better. Or when, so run yeah, wild so, with it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> run,
0: run. Uh, yeah,
1: it, you know, I I think what happens on a lot of this stuff is that we we lose kind of the goals of particularly on the law enforcement side or the, um, you know, defensive shooting side, either one, um, as to what are our, really is our goals, you know, what, what are we really looking at trying to do and what are we training to do? You know, so I read a lot of this stuff. I see it on the internet. I, 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 uh, I, uh blow my brain up with, you know, what's getting kind of put out there and it just sort of boggles me. So, you know, what, uh, what I, I texted you the other day is they said, Hey bro, we need to do a podcast on shooting better versus when to shoot better. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today is Is it about shooting better or is it about when to shoot better? And for some people, it's about shooting better. Um, Actually, most people drive all of their training to shooting better. Uh, I found most law enforcement agencies, it's all about shooting better. For most people, self-training or going to training classes, it's all about shooting better. And again, we always kind of drop the... The problem is that we're really not focusing on when and how to shoot better. Because to me, the, when is the important part before yeah. we get to the shooting it's when,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel yeah. like a lot of times, uh, we ask the wrong question and I can give a million and one examples of that. It's like, Absolutely. you know, should we put this piece of gear on our gun to make us shoot better? And I go, how about we learn to shoot better before we put that piece of gear on our gun? We're asking right. the total and, and, wrong know, question. Perfect. Well, this is two
1: perfect examples of that. We can actually almost go three. Lights, lasers, and optics. And I would start with light, lights and optics because that's the hot one right now. But you, know, you could throw the lasers in there too. Um, so lights, lasers, and optics all let us shoot better but not necessarily. And they, they can help with when better, but I don't know if we're focusing hard enough on the when part, if that makes sense.
0: The when part being so when to employ, when your to, hand when gun, to or, employ
1: lethal force right. and what are we doing when we're actually doing that? So, you know, one of the big processes I teach um, and I will give complete credit. I stole this from, uh, Eugene Zink, who was a former, uh, Delta guy back way back in the day. Um, real well-known guy used to work for HK and a couple other places. Most people haven't heard of Gene, but he's a fabulous trainer. Um, and he introduced me and, uh, one of my partners, uh, on the team to, uh, a process they call C S E E. I teach this all the time we use it. I used to have uh, C written across my gloves. As a matter of fact, my old partner actually texted me something about that the other day. He goes, man, C saved a lot of lives. And so what C is, is it's basically C, evaluate, eliminate. And that's really the shooting process of what needs to go in or the threat process. So the first part of it, is C is use of senses to detect threat that can be it's all of them uh the visuals are strongest but as you know uh working in law enforcement you know smell i'll tell you i'm very sensitive to smell i can smell weed i can smell meth i can smell all sorts of things that are bad and you know it's the reason we put stuff in natural gas to make it smell funny so we know that it's leaking because it's dangerous so um you know, taste, touch, any of those things, um, you know, if you've ever found a crook by touch, it's not a fun experience. No. Um, I had that one. Uh, and even the little hairs on the back of your neck uh, senses that, you know, something's not right here you need to listen to. So these are all threat indicators, but visual tends to be our biggie that something's you know, needs to be addressed as a threat. And they, they don't all need to be human. You know, searching houses, anything behind a closed door I can't see is a red zone, you know. So, but when we start getting into humans, you get, uh, you need to be able to see the whole person, you need to be able to see their hands. Human beings are tool killing animals. So, what's going to hurt you is going to come from uh, something those thumbs are holding. And when you get presented with something that's going to great bodily harm you or kill you, then you need to go through an uh, elimination process. Uh, Those are eliminated generally lethally. Uh, Other threats are eliminated with non-lethal force. Um, Some are eliminated strictly by presence or even just leaving. Um, So, again, there's a whole complex set of stuff that's going on here before we ever get to pressing the trigger. And... I think a lot of this, people get so tied up in the what happens when the trigger gets pressed, and there's so much going on before that, that we are not factoring in or we're taking away from. And a lot of it, I believe, is overestimation of people's ability to what what they like to call uh, multitasking. Uh, I found out very fast working in the aviation world that there is no such thing. It's task stacking and task priority, and the faster you can move tasks around, the better. Again, yeah. it's not something we get to practice a lot on how to do that in chaos. I see, and, and see the chaos factor is what always gets left out of this.
0: That's, Go ahead. That's fair. I was, was going to say you. the. Oh no, you're <laughs> fine. To me, the thing that separates, uh, you know, every, everybody has their, their model or their idea of, of what a great, a great policeman is, right. Or a great military operator or a great, you you have this kind of envisionment of what that, what that embodies, right. And to me, when I was interacting with other officers and, and other police officers specifically, the ones that I felt like when I tried to to boil it down to what makes this person really proficient and good. And the one common denominator I saw with, with the guys that I really looked up to was that they were able to task stack in chaos, like nobody else panic, never hit them. Yep. <laughs> it was, Hey, I understand there's, there's 14 people shot, Let's put that down here at the bottom and let's go figure out what hurt these people and any number of other factors that were involved in that they could they could run through that task stack with just with ease and that's something i think that if you're not involved in law enforcement or military where you're engaged in those operations routinely it really gets lost in translation. It's a really hard skill to put your finger on. But, you know, we, we see the memes that say that when the bullets are and blood are flying, the guy that's calm, that's the guy you want to go to. Well, yeah, that's the dude that it has the ability to stack tasks by priority and address them rapidly. Uh, and, and that was kind of the one determinate factor for the, the, the guys when I was coming up in the police world that I really looked up to and tried to model myself after. So,
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I I look back at my very kind of first years in law enforcement, and, you know, I tell people, I go, okay, first night on the job, I never made it to briefing, and I went to seven shooting calls. Not shots fired, seven shootings. Um, And I got kind of dropped in and immersed in, drowning in crisis and chaos right out of the gate. And I know how ill-equipped I was for it. And I thought I was pretty well-equipped. I mean, I was shooting competitively. I was hanging out before I became a cop with pretty much a lot of elites. I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. like your typical, you know, 21 or 22-year-old. My circle of people I was hanging out with were, you know, guys from SEAL Team 5, you know, getting all the latest stuff out of the uh, – Shosh, uh, you know, John Shaw shooting, shooting operation down there at miss, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, us Marshals, saw guys and fugitive dudes and, you know, San Diego's full-time SWAT dudes. And, you know, that was like my circle of people because I was working in the police equipment business, knew what I wanted to do and was kind of surrounding myself with sort of the right dudes to be getting stuff. So you can picture that my like kind of first dribbles out into law enforcement. I wasn't ill-prepared for that. What I was wholly, wholly as a kid who grew up in a leave it the beaver home and, you know, was not exposed to a whole bunch of bad, horrible stuff is getting out there in utter, absolute chaos of stuff you can't envision. I don't care how much TV or movies or whatever you're watching. Um, You know, you don't know how much mass amounts of blood. You don't know what that smells like. You know, you don't know what people really look like when they have been severely injured and the shock that is to your system of seeing that for the first time,
0: you know, And then being responsible for the decisions that come after that. Yeah.
1: Oh, and then absolutely having to wire your stuff down of remaining calm in that, you know, or calming yourself down to having your emotional side of your system completely overwhelmed and having to flip that switch back over to your logical, non-emotional side of your being, you know? So, um, A lot of the training I do and how I like to gear people I'm training is to so well develop the subconscious logical side stuff that it's easy to sort of flip into that rather than, you know, uh, having a whole lot of stuff going on. And that's sort of where this comes in, you know. Um, the title of that article was something about, you know, the front side will kill you or some get
0: some you killed in the streets. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. You know, whatever. And, and, you know, I, I understand kind of what the point of the article was and it wasn't wholly wrong. Uh, whoever wrote the title, uh, you know, didn't do themselves any favors and, you know, sorry, of they start in with a, well, you know these top level shooters can target focus and they kind of transpose their sights over their pistol and they're doing all this cool stuff. And, you know, I'm like, yep, you can do that. And, you know, as a guy who used to work for one of the top red dot companies and who started shooting a red dot on a pistol in like 1989 or 90, it's not like I'm new to the whole red dot process and how that works. And I get the whole benefits of target focus. But what I have found is that the benefits in actually shooting and some of the, the situational awareness, what ends up happening is how that functions in sort of the oodle loop of decision-making. So... What I try to tell people that I like to use that front sight for or the, the sights on the pistol is visual verification. I, did a, um, I used to fight with Ken Good on the Internet like old women. And rather than just sit there and whine at each other, uh, I invited Ken out to do some training. We spent several days together really working through a lot of stuff and found out we were way on the same team on a lot of stuff. And him coming from sort of the military side of the low light stuff and me coming from the cop side of being out in the field, uh, you know, working graveyards with a full size mag light, you know, we had kind of a different idea of using light and low light tactics. So we did a lot. But one of the big things Ken and I, you know, uh, talked about, and, I, and this was instilled right out of the gate from me by Larry Budget over at LAPD SWAT was, you know, words mean things and terminology is important. On really defining what you're talking about. So what Ken and I started using is rather than uh sighted or non sighted fire, is we used visual verification as the terminology to discuss what we were talking about. So what I found in investigating over 75 Austin ball shootings from the uh strictly from the firearms, ballistics side of the event, um, you know, we had other guys doing all the criminal stuff and that, but my job was doing the guns and the bullets, um, is I found that outside of contact distance where you could reach out and touch your opponent, all of the guys I had who visually verified that their firearm was on target hit and all the ones who didn't missed. And so the first thing we did is we throw that through all non-retention point shooting or non-verified shooting out of the shooting program, which helped immensely to watch percentages of hits go up because my SWAT guys really weren't allowed to do it anyways. And those guys were shooting about 90% plus in the field. And it was everybody else we were having the problem with who were still being, you know, when I went through the academy, you weren't allowed to use the sights till you got to seven yards or to bring the gun up to high level seven yards. And we wonder why we missed everybody. Um, So, now, are there people out there who can be exceptionally good point shooters? Absolutely. And we don't have the ammo budget time or training to do that in law enforcement. You know, I was uh, friends with a guy who most people have probably seen on Top Shot or videos named Cisco, um, who is the world fast draw champion and does all this phenomenal stuff. Um, if if you could practice like Cisco practices, which he generally puts in uh, two to three hours a night of practice which is shooting wax bullets in his garage and stuff. Right. <laughs> you, know, you can do all that cool stuff. But um, you know, most of us have other lives and we're not really world-class competitors of that stuff. So um, it gets kind of interesting with this stuff that you go, okay, so I'm on a limited amount of budget on time. I'm a, legitimate, a limited amount of budget on money and ammunition and all of the restrictions we have. So what am I going to be guaranteed I know works? I know sights work. So if I can get those in my eye line, I can do much better work of visually confirming that my handgun, particularly with the handguns, I'm going to kind of throw the rifle, shotguns, long guns out of this that are anchored on a, on a, you know, a, a the body of right. an extra point to shoot. But so with handguns, if I can get the sights in my visual line, that is a gives me a huge benefit to actually hitting my opponent that I need to. Now that it comes into where am I hitting him? So the more sights you get, the more you know, the more precise the sights, the more, uh, you know, uh, precision you can get. Well, how precise do you need to be? And this is another one of the DBs, big, you know, whitey, you know, rants in the shooting <laughs> world. Well, you just shoot to the acceptable target. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? If you're shooting three gun, you know, what is it like two hits on anything is good to go. Right. You know, If you're shooting another discipline, you know, in a minor caliber, you're looking for all A zone, you know, can I throw a C here and still win? Yeah, I mean, there's all these other things. Okay, that's all cool. And that's all playing. Those are all sports, and they're all sports that are related to this, but it's not the same. With human beings, you have to be able, with pistol bullets, be able to put around in something the size of a large orange or a small grapefruit that's in the upper portion of the chest or in the head, period. If you don't do that, you will be shooting again, and shooting again in today's world is a negative, not a positive. It is super cool if you can put 12 rounds into an opponent before they fall and hit the ground because you are shooting like .17 splits into the dude. Fantastic. I don't want to defend that shooting. Because you're shooting it faster than the speed that you can assess that. And in the way the Constitution and laws of this country work and how they're applied is you have to be able to articulate with great detail exactly why you press the trigger on another human being every time you press the trigger. And you really can't do that if you're shooting faster than you can stop or shooting faster than you can assess. And I will contend that most people, speed of assessment is not as fast as they think it is. So you end up with the situation that they are shooting far faster and making decisions far faster than their brain is really processing what is going on. So to me, we have to really divide these things up into letting your brain process what it needs to, and then be able to apply force with that. And if we're taking all this time, you know what else we get to do? I get to get more alignment on sites. If I'm doing this correctly,
0: uh, you know, this, this shooting with the guy that was attacking the officer looked like he was a pretty old guy somewhere in like Maryland. I think it was. And, and, uh, the, the sub subject soaked up 12 rounds and that's been the big thing. Oh, he soaked up 12 rounds before he finally went down. And I was like, you know, you guys, we got to put this in context here. Okay. I mean, I get it. Like there, it was a real, almost a contact distance shooting. There was a, a quick entanglement. And the very first thing I saw was, well, that's why I don't carry a nine millimeter. And I only carry a 40. And I'm like, well, how do you know the guy wasn't carrying a 40? How do you know he wasn't carrying a 45? (laughs) How do you know he wasn't carrying a three fifty-seven sig? Because I heard the report and it didn't sound like nine millimeter to me. I may be wrong, but we don't know. There's all these, these X factor of variables that we don't know. What I do know that
1: we don't know where the hits were.
0: Yeah. What I do know know. is that that dude's (laughs) face was intact when he fell. So he didn't get around parked in the melon which yeah. no.
1: And there's a, a, uh, a still shot of the early part of that. Literally the guy's pistol was right up in the guy's face, right? That would have been kind of a good time to press that trigger. The problem is, is you got to train people to do that. And that's why like, and, and I didn't invent it. I stole it from LAPD, uh, deep platoon. I did, you know, all of my people had to shoot failure drills from 10 yards and in at every single stage and they had to finish every shooting drill with a failure drill. with Like if we were doing a combat shoot or right. some sort of whatever, every single one of those finished with a headshot. And we had a very easy way to experiment with this because the other guy who ran our regular range, I did the SWAT guys. We had one firearms instructor assigned to SWAT, which was me, and we had another guy who was assigned to patrol. His captain would not allow headshots because it was executing suspects. So our patrol guys were not trained to do that. My guys were trained that that's how you finished every shooting. You want to guess what happened in actual field shootings?
0: They probably did that regularly.
1: uh, Patrol was shooting 17% in the field or 20 right around, you know, one out of five rounds was hitting something. Uh, when they did, they weren't always that good. They were whatever. My guys are shooting 90-plus percent. They're making uh, headshots on hostage takers. They're shooting literally textbook failure drills. We're uh, not having any shootings more than a few rounds. They're all over and done with. And it's not because they were so good. It's a part-time SWAT team. All of these were patrol shootings. If anybody's ever seen my presentation on this, I put pictures of everybody up because they're all in uniform, working patrol operations. Um, I, I purposely did not use any of the SWAT shoot, or the shootings that occurred during SWAT operations. Um, these are like dudes doing dude stuff. And there was, you know, single hits to the body, instantaneous incapacitations. There was pairs to the body, instantaneous. There were pairs in a head. Sometimes there was three or four to the body and a head. Uh, that was only one, and that was my partner. We got ambushed, which was all done on the move, uh, turning around a suspect at near and gate uh, within about three yards with the suspect shooting at him. Um, and, you know, multiple – and, you know, that was my old partner. I mean, I was there for this, and we got ambushed, and he was like one of the worst shooters I've ever been around, best guy I've ever been around to pick up threat. And, you know, on the interview post with that, it was like, uh, dude, you know, well, you know, I, I was shooting him in the body. I could see the hits, you know, kind of through the sights, hitting him in the chest and he wasn't really reacting. So I just shot him in the face like he told us to. Okay, cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: Moving on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Moving on. You know, I had one of my other guys that took a, a really, really tight shot on a hostage taker. Um Said he. Dave, how did you feel about taking that shot? He goes, God, you make us do those stupid failure drills at 10 yards. And then he goes, six feet was a walk in the park. So those are the answers I like getting. Um, And it kind of shows these are not shooters. These are people who have been trained properly to shoot. And they're all doing it at a near subconscious level. So... What ends up happening is if you don't train this stuff right now, every one of these are coming back and you have to really kind of talk to them about what they were seeing for sights. Now, some of them were seeing the entire back of the gun, but they've always shot with sights. So, subconsciously, their brain is seeing what it needs to see in that context to make those hits. And you don't need, you you can get a little rough in close as you start getting out to distance. Now, some of my guys who made really hard precision shots, um, they could sit there and describe the the sights perfectly. Um, I've now had two guys um, actually describe follow through to me, which is kind of interesting as we have progressed enough to go, you know, I watched the front sight rise out of the thing as it's settling i'm watching the guy crumple underneath the sight in the background behind my front sight settling into my rear sight that was the first one i had and then one recently uh was you know i was watching the front sight you know up and down in the rear sight pacing my you know I mean, it was like okay yeah you an extremely well-trained shooter obviously um so we're now getting that so it kind of shows you can actually do that if you train to do it and then the other kind of factor in there is what are we really looking at and why are we looking at it? So right up till the shooting happens, um, you know, we gotta be looking at, um, you have a whole shooting versus deciding to shoot as what your priority are as a task. And right up until the first, until the first round discharges, um, Deciding to shoot is the absolute 100% priority, and you've got to be right. And the better shooter you are, the longer you can tend to stretch that time of evaluation. And as part of that C process, right. the longer you can stay in evaluation because your elimination skills are better than everybody else's, is a benefit that a lot of police administration does not understand, and particularly politicians. And we'd spend more time getting people really super confident on the threat elimination part, that gives them a lot more time to spend in threat evaluation. So it gets into this thing where the longer you can stay there, the better. And what I usually train people to do and what I do myself is I want to stay in that evaluation process as long as I humanly possibly can. But when the time comes to elimination, I really don't want any more information because it puts me on a reactionary phase with that opponent. And if you think about the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, and act. Okay got all my observation i've oriented on the target i've made a decision to shoot i now i'm going to shoot as part of act what i like to do is i will actually close my left eye because i don't want any more information and i actually went out of law enforcement with a major ocular injury i don't have binocular vision anymore so it's kind of important for me i almost have to do that but in the past, what I would use is bring try to bring all that focus back to the front sight, or what I tell people is block your vision with the sights. So what this is also critical is that those sights and none of that gun is in your vision while you're in the evaluation, while you're in that observed side and act or the decide phase, that gun can't be in your vision. And this is the mistake so many people are making today. And it drives me bananas because it leads to some really bad outcomes. Once I decide to act, as soon as that gun comes up and breaks that line of vision and puts that. And I know that front sight needs to be the kind of point on what I need to be seeing is that tells me. I'm on, I'm verified, and now I can press, control, press that shot and hit what I need to hit. So this brings in sort of a lot of these other factors. So I use that front sight to break right into that accent. With all these people discussing target focus, if I am constantly watching the target and not really what my gun's doing, I am now fully in reactive mode. And basically I'm now in their OODA loop rather than in mine. If that makes sense? Yeah. And- is I'm still trying to do brain stuff basically. And remember, you know, because you can only, there's no real such thing as multitasking. So if the task that's at the top of my priority right now is still assessing what the bad guy's doing when I should be doing what I need to do to I should be on front-sight press follow-through. That's the only three things going through my head. That is a direct Scotty Reitz quote. The only thing going through your brain when it's time to press the trigger is front-sight press follow-through. If I am distracting from those three things because I am still focused on what the target's doing, I am not really an act. I am reverting myself still back into decide. for decide. I am constantly in decide and I am bumping from decide to act and back and forth. And it, it doesn't help the act part. You're actually kind of doing both poorly, if that makes sense. Yeah. So once I decide to act and I press the trigger, now what do I need to do? I need to follow through on that. And during the course of the follow through now what I got to do is I have sort of got to switch back to decide again. So I might need to switch the focus back to the target to see what they're doing on reaction to the shot, unless I'm so close that, you know, if it's still there, I get to still shoot it because it's still a a lethal danger to me. Obviously, if it's 25 yards away, um, I'm going to probably need to assess that again, you know, at a real high level. So distance plays a thing. So this is where sort of the red dots come in on a huge benefit, but a huge negative as well. So the huge benefit to the red dot is when the dot comes up into my line of vision, what does my sight picture look like?
0: You're still seeing the bad guy or the threat, and you're still taking on information in the D side. Yeah. Well, but
1: the the actual sight picture of a red dot is perfect. Does that make sense? Yeah. At three yards, it's perfect. And at hundred yards, it's perfect. I always have a perfect sight picture, not sight alignment. I have a perfect sight picture. Versus my iron sights, that are is going to be very focused based on how good that sight picture is. And obviously, at close range, I can use a fairly rough sight picture. And at long range, I need a very precise sight picture. With the red dot, the sight picture is always perfect. So it takes kind of a whole factor out of there of what I got to do on focus on it. So the key to the red dot is putting a, a perfect sight picture over the target, but I'm still going to need to, but how am I focused on it? The key is I kind of need to still break the being reactive. It just allows me that switch and follow through from sites to target is much faster on the red dot. I mean, I obviously, you, you kind of want to transpose that dot over the target, Um, but it's still going to work that the, the, a little more focus on what my dot is doing versus what the target is doing is going to tell me when to shoot again, if that makes sense. So, the, the, the dot will tell me what I'm doing while I'm shooting. The target will tell me if I need to keep doing it or not. So the, it, it, it allows – it simplifies the process, and there's only two things I'm worried about as opposed to a rear sight, how much focus is on those, switching distance to forward, that type of thing. It really simplifies that. The problem with the red dots is – and this is a 100% training problem – is they look like freaking TV sets and everybody wants to put the TV set in front of their face. And if the TV sets in front of your face, the muzzle is probably somewhere it shouldn't be. You are focused on something you probably shouldn't be. And it leads to something. And you are now very much capable of shooting faster than you can assess or actually deciding factor faster than you are evaluating, or I'm sorry, you're eliminating faster than you can evaluate. So you have this big red dot that you're focused on right in front of your face. And something presents itself just in startle. You're not really giving your brain time to process this stuff. And everybody thinks that they're awesome at this. You know what? You're not awesome at it. I'm going to just break your heart right now is there are not a lot of people out there Are absolute freaking gods at threat evaluation because most people don't get to do it very often. There are people out there who are doing this every day at a high level, but that is few and far between. And usually those folks are out there so operational they're not out in the training world until they retire. Yeah. So if you're not looking at that, if you're not making shoot, no shoot decisions several times a day. You can just stop with telling me about how good you are at it because you're not. And most people that I have interviewed, and I'm sure um, your dad will verify this as well, is when you start asking people post-shooting. Hey, was that anything like you ever thought it would be? Everybody's answer is, oh my God, no. I mean, it was in no way, no way, shape or form. Was this like a shooting match or police training or, or what I imagined? Everybody has their fantasy shooting and it's not it, you know, it really isn't it. I I think I might be one of the only people on the planet who had sort of one that was like, yeah, I could see this happening, but it would never happen because it's like, it's going to be me and a bad guy. And we're going to be in a bar facing each other. And it's who can get on it quicker. <laughs> nobody yeah. else gets that one. Well, <laughs> yeah, Nobody, nobody's
0: <laughs> well, DB. So. Let me, let me circle back on something. I think, uh, from a training standpoint. Okay, what is Je- okay.
1: Okay. Okay. Jen, with your circle back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had to, I had to throw the new, uh, yeah, <laughs> the new term. And a new circle term. Back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, okay. <laughs> the, let's,
1: new, the new media, the media term of circle back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's back the bus up to something that I, I, I took away from what you were saying there. And one of the gaps I see in training and it's law enforcement and civilian side is, the difference between I've made the decision to shoot versus I'm shooting. And I know that sounds like I'm saying the same thing, but if I have made the decision to shoot, it doesn't matter where the gun comes from. If it's from the holster, if it's at a low ready, if it's, you know, activating a gun light, if I have made the decision to shoot, my actions are completely different than if I am at a low ready assessing when I'm going to have to shoot. There's two totally separate processes in there. And that's something that I don't think a lot of trainers even put their finger on is, am I assessing the need to shoot or have I made the decision and now I need to do the shooting part because we are masterful at training uh, the open-minded defensive shooter, how to operate a gun. Everybody has their take on it. And right. oh, everybody's got their, their pet sights and their pet optic and their pet holster and all these things. And we can teach people how to do marksmanship. And I think we've gotten better at that in some areas and worse at it in others. And, but the decision on when to shoot becomes this big void and the decision making process there because i know for me personally i can walk through the process right now i make i make the decision i'm going to shoot this simulated threat so i'm going to orient my body which is part of the aiming process defeat concealment defeat the holster bring the gun up with the front sight proud under my dominant eye and as soon as the gun levels off fingers on the trigger, slacks out of the trigger, and when the sights are clean enough that I can make the shot that I need to, the the gun goes off. I just broke down a process that I can do in a microsecond um, without much thought. But from the police side, if life were so simple, that's all you had to do. Well, it's not. You have this entire litany of things that go on that make for you (laughs) The decision as to whether you're going to bring the gun in early, whether you're going to, you know, searching a building is different than contacting somebody on the street is different than contacting somebody in a traffic stop is different than, you know, any of the other circumstances that we, we encounter daily. So, but my decision-making process is different than now I'm going to shoot the gun. It's- you
1: know, as as Larry Vickers says, you know, shooting a pistol is uh, simple, but it's not easy. Right, And like you broke that system down. And, you know, one of the things I do for my students is I go through what the actual shooting process is. And I had a lot of guys who are better cops who go, you know, nobody's ever explained that to me before. So... We go through this threaded thing, you know, we see the hands uh, tool killing animals doing something. We need to switch our vision from what is giving us the indication to shoot to where we want to hit. We then need to align sights or verify that. And, you know, it's funny. Everybody's like, well, you don't align sights when you're point shooting or retention shooting. And I go oh, you, you mean your sights aren't aligned? I didn't say you had to see them. I said the sights need to be aligned. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So we, we have to aim, whether we're visually aiming or body-orientated aiming, we need to aim and align those sights on the, the target. And then we need to press the trigger to the rear um, without disturbing that alignment and do it again. And the, the whole thing we, a lot of people lose is the switching from the threat indicator or the the lethal force indicator to where we want to hit. That's a big step in there, okay. But that that, that always gets left out. And if you you've run you have run enough ranges, I'm sure that when we use the cartoon targets with the guns on them. Uh-huh. That a, a vast majority of the shots are in the threat indicator and not in the center of the upper chest or in the head, oh, where I've... that you're supposed to be. Because nobody because they didn't switch their vision.
0: I've you seen know, maybe, many law enforcement the, 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 shootings that were <laughs> that that the suspects oh, were shot yeah, well, through the hands. Um you oh, know forget the suspects. Yeah. A lot of cops get shot through
1: the hands because the crooks are doing the exact same thing. Right. And yeah. if you're not making that that and that needs to be a super conscious decision that's part of that process that nobody really ever talks about. And, you know, I'm going to tell a little war story because it's really kind of indicative of what we're talking about here. And it was one of those defining things that put a lot of this together for me. Um, I responded one night to a subject armed with a knife. I get to a little barrio house and there's a kid in the back of like, and I'm talking your little old like 1940s, 50 kind of shacky little house. And, you know, a lot of those had a little service porch in the back that usually had a sink in them where people would hand do laundry. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, they're not very big. Um, you know, it's probably, you know, 10 feet at best across this thing, you know, and this kid is sitting there and he's, he's a big, big Hispanic kid. Um, and he's, I, I, the, the term I think we use now is special needs, but he was I mean, he's a twenty-something-year-old, full-size, large mammal with a, you know, a brain process of about a six-year-old, and he's sitting there with a gigantic, uh, you know, kitchen knife, um, and very angry and upset and stressed out and stuff, and his back's against the wall, and he's kind of leaned up against the wall, and I've got as much, uh, I've got as much distance as I can get from him, and I'm sitting there, I've got a, a pistols at a low ready, and I'm trying to talk to him. And I have made the decision already. If he comes off that wall, I am so close. I have no other choice, but I'm going to have to shoot him. And we're, I'm trying to get him to put the knife down. I'm trying to deescalate the situation as best as possible. Cause I really don't want to have to shoot this kid. It's very obvious that he's got some mental issues that he needs help more than he needs me to kill him. And, But I still have for my protection and safety, I've got to make a decision of when the lethal force is going to come. So, of course, at some point, he just kind of loses his mind and he comes pulling off that wall. And I make the decision, okay, I got no choice now, but I'm going to have to shoot. Pistol's coming up, sights are aligned, start getting on the uh, trigger. And all of a sudden, I see a blur kind of coming off my left side and stop the trigger press this is another you and i are on the same page this is sort of one of the other things i like about double action triggers Uh it's a thinking trigger when you need a thinking trigger because i'm still in thinking mode um and then you get a shooting trigger when the shooting starts you know but that first one's still where we got a lot of thinking going on during that trigger movement you're very aware of it and i come off the trigger and what it is is his mom is behind me and sees what's about to happen. And she comes by me and she tackles the kid. So it turns into a kind of a fight to get him disarmed of the knife. And cause mom was, you know, where he was going to get shot, but to be able to pull that shot, we're still, and this is where I tell people, I go, the complexities of this stuff are not like shooting a one dimensional paper target under, you know, wonderful blue skies and puffy white clouds on a range that you just pre walked your shooting course, So when you start, well, I'm going to target folks, do all this stuff. You know, you don't know what you're going to do. You're going to have a lot of other factors in there. And this is part of where the task stacking comes in, is that you need to start being able to to slide different tasks in during the entire process. You're not doing them all at the same time. And it becomes critical that that decision to shoot was made but we weren't quite at shoot yet. And nobody really wants to talk about what happens in there between the decision and the actual shot breaking. There's a lot that goes on. And I try to tell people it's hard to explain. You're never going to see it watching a video or TV or a training film or talking to people who've never done it. A lot happens that your brain fixes during that time that your brain will tend to slow a lot of that stuff down to a better speed for you to deal with what's going on. And what I use for people who have never been in an actual shooting is I tell them, if you've ever been in a surprise car accident, you didn't think you could watch an airbag deploy, but you can in slow motion the way everything sort of slows down. That's what should be going on in that process. And, should give you the time. If you are trained to do it, to grab the verification on how to properly threat eliminate. And it's subconscious. Your brain can do a lot of work in there. If the actual shooting part is subconscious, it's just getting that shooting part to being subconscious. And that only comes with a lot of repetition and Practice makes permanent. So what you are doing on those repetitions is what's going to be permanent. So if you've got craptastic uh, training things on how you're training, that's all the stuff you're building into your subconscious. If you're a horrific trigger smacker, if you're a uh, poor gr- if you, you know, grip at the end of the trigger press every time, that's going to be in your subconscious. You are going to shoot that that Glock low left every single time as a right-handed shooter if you are gripping the gun hard at the end of the trigger press instead of setting the grip for recoil before the trigger press. And if nobody has trained that out of you and they've just told you that Glocks always do that, they're not doing you any favors. They just built in a horrible subconscious problem. So a lot of this stuff, and then one of the things I used to fix with my guys, and this is why I get so kind of tweaked on the way you don't need your sights, police shootings in particular, because we get to look at them a lot, but I would imagine a lot of citizen shootings, if there's a draw involved, is piss poor grip is going to be a major factor in it. When you get surprised as a cop in a shooting, most of the time, I found a lot of these guys' grips were just horrible. Uh, cause they're just kind of panically going to the gun and it's not a natural thing. And, you know, even those of us who practice a lot, how many times, uh, you know, Brian, how many times have you been up on a line on a man on man shoot off thing? And you are an exceptionally good shooter. How many times have you fouled a grip on one of those things?
0: Uh, the, the better question would be how many times have I not fouled a grip on one of those exactly. things? Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, yeah.
1: And that's the thing is one there's, they're sitting there, you know, standing there in your, uh, your, 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 your defined area, doing your dry practice. And then there's actually, yeah, we, we got some, uh, stress on the line and stuff. You can imagine for the people who don't train fouling that grip off the draw is a very common thing. And the way to fix that, you have to fix that is with much more use of sights and much better trigger press will fix the grip. If you, get a near perfect grip on that gun right out of the gate and death grip that thing and get a, a solid trigger press you almost don't need any sights other than they need to kind of be there right if you have a crap tasted grip on the gun you have better have some really good sights and really good uh trigger press to make up for that bad grip and we don't teach often enough how to fix that that was one of the big things I did with my guys where I forced them to shoot Uh, very precise small targets is it forced them to use a lot of sights and a lot of trigger which helped correct when they didn't have the grip in the field they know how to fix that and they know how to fix it at a subconscious level
0: TACCON, i draw brian hill right out of the gate what a you know what a good way to get get an ego (laughs) bruising right immediately (laughs) yeah and i'm like okay uh Every time I grabbed the gun something was wrong but by the time it got to the the target everything was perfect again. And that those little micro movements that you're making with your hands to square the grip up and correct the sights by the time the gun arrived at the target the sights were aligned. Oh, you're see, not I always going to you know, have the perfect f- draw, right? You're not always going to have the right, perfect grip. I
1: get the benefit of having Wayne Wayne Dobbs as a training partner, which is horrible Mm -hmm. if if you have any ego in your body whatsoever. Um, One of the things Wayne is so exceptional at as well as a lot of stuff, but usually with Wayne, that gun's not coming out of the holster till his grip is right. He is really exceptional about anchoring that grip right at the very beginning of the draw stroke. And a lot of people look at Wayne and go, You know, he doesn't look like he's going that fast because Wayne draws what he defines as natural human speed. So he defines that as sort of the speed at which your hands will come up to your face if you have to sneeze or if a fly lands on you and you're kind of batting it away, that speed. It's not this hyperspastic speed that we see people using on the range all the time. Wayne's using his, his fast speed for doing tasks that his body is used to Doing, and that's how he grips a pistol in the holster, which is why he's usually able to fix them if they don't come out right, Mm -hmm. is because he's not working at spastic speed. See, and what happens with most people on a startled draw, they're working at spastic speed, yeah, in which time they jack that grip up. And then a lot of us, when we get in a man on man shooting drill or some matches on the line, or a bunch of people are watching we tend to lose our discipline on that stuff. And we go to a little bit of hyperspastic and boff those draws. Oh yeah. And, you know, and like I said, you got to know how to fix all that, but you know, it kind of gets into this whole thing that there's a lot going on. And while there, the, the, uh, again, you go back to that article, the front side will kill you. You know what the front side does. It fixes a lot of that. I mean, it, 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 going back to that thing, is not so much, like I said, if your grip is perfect uh, and you've got a good, solid, hard, hard grip on that gun and everything's sitting perfect, you know how much those sights matter? Not a whole lot. Because the your grip is going to align the gun and your eye align perfectly for you. That it doesn't become that important and it gets more down to your trigger press, not disturbing it, which your grip is also helping. So it's one of the things I've learned in the last probably decade has been a uh, a torturous period for me as i have very very severe arthritis in my hands i've lost a ton of grip strength i tell people i have the grip of an old old you know of an old arthritic woman because that's basically where i'm at you know so everybody's all well what gun should i get for my grandmother that's that's my gun right now and you know it's uh i am realizing how much that that grip was important so now for me uh sights and trigger get really important because my grip is so compromised. Yeah. Um red I've gone hard back to red dots, not because my vision's so particularly bad or all these other things. I'm kind of going hard on them now because I'm dry practicing a lot rather than live shooting. And I'm finding when I come home from the range now with either my uh you know my Wangdon Beretta compact with a hollow sun or I've got a, a six eighty six performance sun or snub with a uh um point acro on it mm-hmm. is literally, I come, I come home and I'm, I'm literally in tears. I mean, I'm not, it's literally with tears in my eyes coming home. Cause my hands are from so bad from trying to grip the gun hard enough. Cause the red dot is showing me how much my grip has been compromised. Yeah, Yeah, I was using my cheater gun before those Langdon PX4 compacts. They are they're like recoilless and very flat, and it let it really let me get away with a lot of my grip that that um, I'm now having to really work through correcting. Um, So, there's a lot there that we should be working on that leads to success in the field, and a lot of assessment is important and you know backstop issues how much you can see um i'm retired to this day i mean i tell people i'm retired because i really wanted to take a shot on the guy who ended my career and i couldn't shoot him because i'd made a decision to, to shoot the guy and just before getting the shots off uh he was uh, backed up against a vehicle and there was two little kids you know, like little six-year-old kids' faces looking through that window at me from behind the guy, and uh, I knew with those, you know, plus P hundred forty-seven grain sub uh, HSTs that I wasn't sure they were going to contain in the guy, and I held the shot. And um, you know, and, and you know, people tell you you can't see all that stuff. Yes, you can if you're training yourself to look at it and you are putting the emphasis on everything going on before the shooting happens. And it is critically important that we see a lot of that stuff. As much of a distraction as that was to me to stop the shot, you can imagine if I was trying to make the shot and still target focused and seeing all of this cool stuff that everybody's all, well, if you target focus and you keep both eyes open and you do all this cool stuff, look how much information you can get. You can get a lot of information that, you know what What I'm not going to be focused on? I'm not going to be focused on front-site press follow-through. The priority is going to go back to, oh, look at all that stuff going on in my shot. Right. But I'm probably at a place where I can't stop the shot at that point.
0: That article, the front-site will get you killed in the streets. I really, there was some valuable takeaways in it. And Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not yeah. knocking the guy that wrote it. There were some parts of it that got my hack, you know, got my hackles all up. And, <laughs> and, uh, I find that with almost every article I read today, which is why I consequently, when people send me articles, there's about three people's articles I read, you know what I'm saying? And, right, and most of them have been on this podcast at some point. So, <laughs> uh, but what, what I took away from that is that that's kind of an inflammatory statement right out of the get go. And, you know, when you and I talked, I said, well, yeah, I guess if you're trying to shoot from retention, looking at your front sight is not only unnecessary, but could potentially get you, you know, the knife stuck in your neck that you're trying to defend against. But, but it's but they all still of, need to be aligned. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it, it's, the, it's to me, everything that we do in the shooting community, when it comes to defensive handgun employment, you know, my world is a little less tactical law enforcement and a little more normal human stuff as I'm kind of winding things down, you know, and, and right, what I see is everybody seems to miss context. It's like, you know, I, I hear people go, well, look, this guy didn't even need sights on his gun to make a 25 yard shot. And I'm like, he's standing on a flat range and nobody's shooting back at him. And there's not a playground of right. children behind him, which, uh, you know, I, I know plenty of people that have had that scenario. Well, I would have shot the guy, but there were 14 little kids waiting for the bus behind him. So the context of it being, you know, if I'm shooting PPC or I'm, I'm making some critically accurate shot. Yes. I need to be able to see this, the machining marks in the front sight in perfect alignment and have, uh, and I would never admit to this, but I do it. But if I've got to shoot that critically, I'm not gonna just death grip the gun. It's gonna I, I'm gonna make sure that any movement in there is eliminated and that my hands are set but not crushing the gun. And then if I'm at three feet and I'm shooting a two inch dot or a b8, man I I'm sometimes if I get those guns in my class that have had all the fancy cool guy stippling, I've had on the polymer guns. I've had those that I've gripped so hard I've thrown the gun out of alignment and it won't feed. So it's all contextual (laughs) based on, you know, what do I need to achieve? And there is no one solid answer for that. that.
1: That's sort of, like I said, the benefit of the red dot is that that sight picture, those, you're always getting those, you know, seeing the striations on your front sight Yeah, every time. You're always, it's, it always looks like that, you know, you don't even have to work at it, but to take, take up that benefit though, is that, you know, it's, but when are we putting it in our eye line? you know, which should tell you that it really, you now have more time to keep it out of your eye line, make those shots or to make those decisions to make the shot more efficient is they will allow you a lot more effective decision-making, but you got to let them do it. You know, shooting is a very, and you know, if you look at most of these shootings, you know, the other thing is here's the reality And Pat Rogers. And I used to laugh about this all the time. So I would get these phone calls from Pat when he was, cause Pat would never fly anywhere. He drove any, and cause I was all lame and retired and Usually home, Pat would call me off and on the on the road when he was driving back and forth to classes. And every single time he did a shoot house class, I'd get the phone call on the way home. Yeah, hey DP, you know, (laughs) uh, we talk about it, and it's always the same thing. You know, it's like God, these people make you know. It's always about that the shooting problems in those shoot houses are really not that they're not those complex shots. I mean, they're they're inside room distance. It's not like the mechanics of the making the gun go bang and hitting the target are a big deal. It's all the other thinking and doing things that really messes people up. So you end up with this that, you know, the, if you look at most of these shootings, I mean, we've had some lately that have been just spectacular acts of marksmanship, but the reality is most of these shootings. I mean, if you look at that one we were talking about where the, you know, it was the 12 shots inside of like, you know, a foot and a half, The shooting part is not that difficult. It's all that thinking part is really hard and decision-making and gun handling and movement and tactics. And there's a lot going on, but most of these actual, if we put most of these officer involved shootings or citizen involved shootings, if we put them on a range and we put a, you know, one dimensional paper target on a range and we put them at the same distance and said, um, hit that it probably most people who are halfway decent wouldn't really have a lot of problems making those shots. It's when we try to do those shots in chaos that it becomes a really big deal. And that's, and you know, we,
0: that's something I, I will give, you know, law enforcement law enforcement officers. I, even the most curmudgeonly 30 year plus working graveyards, night shift, you know, coffee stained, gray haired, <laughs> chain smoking, whatever you want to say for the atypical, uh, I won't say burnout because I hate that.
1: Yeah. It's it's me. I know yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can just say people well, like you, DB. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know,
0: uh, the guy that he's been there, he's done it. He got the t-shirt twice, couple divorces, you know, whatever that guy at his worst day has handled more chaos than the average concealed carrier will in a lifetime. And I think that's something, uh, yeah, literally, in, in literally one ever. evening, one shift, there has <laughs> been more exposure to chaos. And that's not knocking our armed citizenry, right? That's just saying, look, the people that do this for a living are chaos is their jam. That's where they live, right? And a an officer when I was really young told told me, he said, You know what your job as a cop is? And I was like, Oh, you know, protect the public and did it and <laughs> gave the stock answer that we all give and he goes, No, nah, bring order to chaos, that's it. Yeah. And I went and he goes, You can apply that to anything we do from taking a report to clearing a traffic accident. It's chaos and we're there to fix it. And I went
1: Oh, we just had this we just had this hundred and sixteen car six oh
0: god fatal
1: tc here in fort worth luckily i didn't work that night or i would have been kind of right there um is uh yeah imagine responding to that (laughs) yeah i i I mean you want to talk about some some uh tasking issues you know and and it's on ice and responding to it in ice Mm -hmm. um yeah it's uh you know these things it's all of a sudden that you know a lot of this stuff isn't that serious. And again, like you said, it's not a knock on the citizenry. It's just for some of us, we try to, you're trying to explain to the citizenry that, you know, a lot of us remember our first year on the job when basically we were you in chaos, you know, we were doing your, your only thing you're ever going to do as an armed citizen. Like we were doing that, you know, regularly and very poorly at it. Yeah. And it took years. And, and you know, the other thing about those, you know, a lot of these, you know, kind of grizzled old guys is, you know, they survived all that um, by luck and learning. And, you know, there might be something to learn, you know, when these people are trying to tell you something. And a lot of them, you know, people like me, especially, and a lot of my kind of circle of people are at the point where we're done trying <laughs> I, I mean I'm still trying a little but a lot of my circle of peers are done it's like and, and a lot of my response to uh you know stuff on the internet these days is you know good luck with that um you know you don't want to listen to the people who've been very good at it um so go ahead and figure you know figure it out for yourself cuz we all had to um, yeah you know <laughs> it's like oh yeah but this guy on the the internet you know who's never done anything scarier than come home and his mom didn't have the the porch light on for him he says that based on his his theory is this okay if you want to listen to that guy you know over some you know like you said some grizzled old dude who's got scars all over their bodies and who've been through this before um
0: Two two bad shoulders, a bad back, and just wants to ride a bike and pass out stickers so he can ride his career out. That guy. Yeah, I know that guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, go ahead. You know, go ahead and listen to them. You know, you're kind of like, I'm done trying. We've been trying to tell you that that stuff doesn't work. And it's like, you know, you get tired of being told you're basically stupid. Like, (laughs) Oh well, you know, because with this, you know, we just invented this, and you dumb old guys, it's like, oh yeah, because we didn't try that. You know, I, <laughs> you know? it's like I like, saw a <laughs> deal. Yeah,
0: <okay. laughs> I saw a deal come through the other day. Uh, it, I won't mention names, but uh, some technique that came through our police department. and somebody had went to training with so and so, and this and that, and the other, and it was like, well. I found this new technique where we interlock our pinkies when we're making the grip. And I just hung my head and I'm like, Oh Lord. And he's like, what? And I said, I remember when that was being taught through a certain federal agency in about 1989. And it wasn't because I was there. It was because I was a nine year old kid in the gun shop looking at a bunch of rookie cops going, have you seen what these guys are doing? And within about a year, well, the they went. That's stupid. Why are we doing that? And and it was. But I hear that stuff. But you and I. But but do
1: you remember? Do you remember when that came back and actually worked pretty good for one particular thing? Uh,
0: I, what, I I I brain what, dumped it.
1: You're 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 old enough. What gun came out that all of a sudden that kind of uh, interlocking the pinkies did actually was a pretty good technique. Which gun came out that did that? Man, I Glock 26 and Glock oh, 27. Oh, yes, yes. Remember that was kind of what he kind of picked up, and you go, Hey, remember that technique they were teaching that didn't work so hot? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you go, Hey, if you do this on a G26 or 27, this works really good. Right. You know, but, you're like, and you, it's funny. And the only reason you bring that up is kind of funny is so, um, you know, I'm shooting this 92 compact that has sort of a, you know, reduced grip and uh-huh. I'm like, oh, you know what? I could kind of do that again with this thing. That's kind of funny. Yeah. I, you can, know, with the flat mags in it, I, you I, know, I, I'm like, I can't shoot those. Kind of hilarious.
0: I can't shoot the compact 92s. I wish I could, but you know, um, I, But there again, like you've been, you've been in the game long enough that now you've seen the cycles start to come back through a second time. I got to see them the first time and now they're coming through the second time. Tom
1: Gibbons says, you know, every 15 years is death cycles. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting into, you know, I've been at this now, you know, thirty. As a professional farms instructor, 32 years and kind of in the game about 35. And I'm in deep now getting into my second phase of this, or through the second cycle into the third. It's like, oh my God. You know, it, it, but you know, to sit there and go, "Hey, I remember this in like 1994 or whatever the you know, when the little uh, 26s and 7s came yeah. out, like, oh my god, you know, remember that thing that they were showing us in 1988? Well, shit, that now works. <laughs> Sorry, I meant, I meant, I meant, shoot, that now works. You well, know luckily, thing? you
0: know, the guy that does the editing, so. <laughs> the editing, yeah.
1: So, but uh,
0: uh, but I've seen that stuff, and it's like. I'm now, so I'm 19 years in, I've been carrying a gun professionally for 23 years now, which is hard to believe because, uh, I, I still look so young, but, uh,
1: <laughs> the, uh,
0: the, uh, the, the thing to me, like I, I had this conversation with a guy the other day. I'm like, haven't we figured out the muzzle up muzzle down argument for the love of Pete? Can oh, we move God, on to God. actually grip the gun and shoot the right way? Cause like, it's all context, man. There's times I run muzzle up. They're not very often, but if I need to, I will. But do we have to stick our hang our shingle on one thing when we've had this argument for 30 years that I'm aware of? And it's like, well, these guys say, and well, that guy. Say, and I'm like, oh Lord, like, Hey, how about this? How about grip the gun real hard and actually hit what you're shooting at? Let's start there. And then we'll add everything else, you know, but But, uh, well, and then, you you know, know? it becomes so
1: about, so about the technique rather than the application. I, I, you know, I was watching a thing the other day and, you know, guy goes into a, you know, temple index and all this stuff and turning their back and running and stuff. And I go, all's I saw were multiple rule two violations and turning your back on a suspect. And I don't understand any of it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't but get it looks really one. cool. But
1: I'm like, okay. Hey, you, know, Hanny I know, and cause, I, you know, usually because one, one of the things is, you know, that I'm kind of big on is like, okay, if you shot a dude, or a bad guy or bad girl or whatever. You've been in a shooting in the continental United States. I'm not talking about, you know, there's 742 ISIS guys in the village, but you shot somebody, they're down in front of you. And you're gonna turn the take your gun off of that and turn around and do bat turns and ballet. And I'm like, why don't you just leave your pistol on the thing that you guaranteed? is a lethal threat you've already used it and then that thing you got above your shoulders that swivels and has optical units in it yeah and a threat assessor uh spin that thing around if you feel the need to go look for some more stuff but you know that that lethal force tool that you're holding in your hand that can probably stay on the one thing guaranteed you're okay pointing at. <laughs> you know, yeah. like at the stuff going <laughs> going, you know, why are you taking your muzzle off the down thing to go paint the fence or spin a circle or put up in the air? Wax on, wax off. Yeah, you know, I love how we do these things at New Year's Eve. Don't shoot rounds into the air because, you know, we have all these public campaigns because they always come down, you know, at some point, some six-year-old gets killed.
0: They all stop somewhere.
1: uh, (laughs) Yeah, but, well, Wayne Dobbs quote, they all hit something. (laughs) They all hit something, and then I'm like, Yet now we're teaching techniques to just go ahead and point it up there. You know, if you, I mean, I understand that sometimes you got to put the muzzle in the next safest place. Yeah. Which, okay, that that's, you know, the the I usually like to work towards the least potential of hurting somebody. I don't intend to. So if like, well, I got all this really good dirt in front of me. but I'm going to go ahead and put the muzzle up in the air where God knows where the thing could come down. If I screw this up, I spent decades with a striker gun getting shoved down the front of my pants and you got to treat them like rattlesnakes and be switched on all the time. I take it that seriously. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be, I don't want a rattlesnake in my pants and, and, uh, be switched on that much anymore. So now I put things that have double action triggers and a hammer down the front of my pants in case I screw up. I'm, Yeah, like I said, I've been doing this for for decades. I probably have more experience carrying AIWB than you do. Right. I started in 89 eighty. Well, I started carrying AIWB because of an injury in eighty-eight. So I've got a few years of it literally exclusively carrying concealed that way since eighty-eight. So it's like and even with that, I'm like, I could mess this up. Yeah. And, you know, so what, what's the best way to not mess this up? And if I do throw a striker gun down there now, there's usually a, a striker control device on it. So, you the
0: best know, best way to do like, it is just don't do it.
1: <laughs> right. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm at a place in life I'm okay with a hammer, fired double action gun. I'm, you know, I, I don't think it's going to get me killed on the street. I've been successful at using them in the past. We'll be okay. Yeah. Pat Rogers and I had this conversation and stuff. It's like, ADP we're probably never going to get another shooting again. So we probably shouldn't worry too hard about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what gun we're carrying. Yeah. Just carry like a good one that you shoot pretty good. You know, it they don't have to be fancy anymore with the latest, everything greatest, finest, you know, whatever it's like, you know, at the time I was working a, a high level, uh, you know, protection gig, and you know, I was carrying a HK 45, uh, compact, you (laughs) know, yeah. And it's like, you know, I know, I know it's a double action, you know, compact and, you know, I'm going to die carrying this thing, but you know, I I do pretty good with it. And it fits the mission really good. Pat's all, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. That's
0: (laughs) that's something. (laughs) That's something that, uh, golly, we're, we're going long on this one. I think I'm just going to (laughs) call this one. DB needed to vent, And you're going to listen, uh, the, uh, the, the thing that, that bothers me is in the industry in general right now, and it's nothing against gun manufacturers trying to make a dollar. I get it. Right. It's the gear is driving the mission, not the mission driving the gear and that (laughs) you think, yeah, you know, and I was thinking about you today. I had my coat on and, and I had, uh, you know, I I carry a 365. Yeah, a frame in the pocket. Oh yeah. yeah, I carry a 365 a lot. And uh I I go over to my girlfriend's house and I take my jacket off and I'm like, "Oh, hey, let me get that secure." And then she's like, "Are you carrying two guns?" And I said, "Yeah." She's like, "Why?" And I said, "Well, uh I got a jacket on and and as good as I am defeating all this clothing to get to the 365 is a lot slower than me rolling through a revolver trigger in my jacket pocket. So I'm just saying, right. like, there's there's a trade-off just here. Just pulling
1: it, even if it, even it's just you got your hand on it and the four inches to get it clear of the pocket yeah. a lot of work. You know, it's it's pretty quick. Um, yeah, you know, it's just a lot of this stuff is, you know, it just kind of comes with the time. But, you know, the, the I blame a ton of this on social media, you know, is it's all about, you know, the grams and the likes and
0: the shot timer. You know,
1: the, yeah, well, you know, yeah, you know, I sit there and I love, you know, watching people do all these drills that have, that have no idea why the drill was invented on what it's supposed to be teaching you to do. And all they're doing is shooting video and running over to the, their shot timer over to the camera. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. neat. You know, it's like doing the test. It's like, I did the test in like 5.87 seconds. I go, you know, I usually try to hit that thing at like 9.87 seconds, Yeah, you know, because that's what I'm really trying to set myself up for is to match the, you know, accurate. <laughs> I tend to shoot better scores when I do it in 987 rather than 587, but you know, Hey, whatever you want to do,
0: cool. You know, <laughs> if you and, can- and that's one of those exercises <laughs> that I go, you guys have no idea the history of this or why it is what it is. But I don't care what time I shoot it in, as long as I clean it in sub-10. It's like it, it,
1: yeah, and, it, th- and it's like, you know what it's like you guys do realize that that's like shooting at assessment speed, because if I had you'd make a force, a shoot, no shoot decision. During your shot pacing, you'd probably be like at fourteen seconds. Yeah, so, you know.
0: Yeah, that's what?
1: you know we're trying to do so. But go ahead, do whatever you're going to do. You know, it's like, that better okay. my, my
0: my new favorite fa- phrase I've adopted when I'm you know training people is that you know they get into the the what if fairy throws the what if fairy dust on them, and they're like, well, the- you know, what if blah 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 blah, and then I shoot the guy and my. My answer is whatever you think you can afford. I wouldn't do it, yes. but whatever you think you can yep. afford, whatever your brain can justify and your bank account can pay for, because that's what's coming. And,
1: uh, yeah, see for me, it's the, uh, what I would do is, um, phrase is my favorite. Cause as soon as somebody tells me, well, what I would do is it just, it, it just triggers a, like a tape, a a tract in my head, which just goes which just told me that you've never done this before. Yeah. <laughs> so I had, it's uh, basically, I have a theory based on no experience. So what I would do is, you know, I'm well, sure you would. I
0: had that, that very <laughs> I've thing. A lot of
1: people with what I would do, crap themselves and what it actually happened. So go ahead. Well, the, thinking that'll happen.
0: The, the, what I would do thing came out in a <laughs> class that I was taking shooting around a barricade and it was to simulate a search kind of like pie in a barricade and making a shot, And, uh, this particular person nameless walks up and goes, well, you know, what I would do is camp my body over like this, that, and the other. And I went, hold on. I said, I have done this for real hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And I can tell you that you're what I would do. Uh, it it doesn't work. Okay. And here's why. And this, this like look of disbelief came over. Like I had shattered this person's religious beliefs and I'm like, it's nothing personal, dude. I have to, I have literally searched thousands of buildings in the middle of the night, sometimes knowing there's a bad person in there. And, uh, so yeah, tell me what you would do again. That's, Oh, that's cool. Whatever. But, uh, for me to shoot (laughs) accurately and to not fatigue myself in the first 18 seconds of this, this potential engagement (laughs) in reality, I'm going to do it this way. And I, and they were like, Oh, and I said, and do you notice I shoot a lot better when I shoot that way? Because I don't have to factor things like sight offset in it just kind of, it's just a little uncomfortable to shoot from that position. It's like not a lot different. And like this collective, like gasp happened and I'm like, man, well, okay. Well, Tough crowd. All right. Moving on. But well, I did a
1: lot of that. What I would do right up until I did it and it didn't work out so hot. And that way you can kind of throw those out.
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) that's a good one too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you have any final thoughts? We're at 90 minutes and I'm going to, I'm going to probably edit this thing down to like, not like, like an hour and Uh, 29 minutes so (laughs)
1: yeah we can do or we can do two you know whatever but anyways (laughs) uh, no you know i I think we'll leave this rant on and save room for the next time for dessert and uh the 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 final thing is you know you know kind of what i talked about is you know should we be spending a little bit of time and thought on the process of is it more important on uh, right now of when to shoot than shooting and I think that needs to get kind of factored into a lot of these decisions outside of the sport shooting world and the just, you know, look, look at, look at what I can do on YouTube. And when we're really talking seriously about applicational lethal force against fellow citizens in the United States, there needs to be a lot of discussion, thought and deep uh, work on how does this process all work together on combining When to shoot and then shooting versus just the shooting. So that's probably my final thought.
0: Yeah, I like it. And I think we've got plenty of content to give our fellow citizen who is like minded in thinking on, uh, you know, on the difference. And uh, maybe the next time we'll get into how to train that. You know, I think yeah, that would absolutely. be a great topic. Hopefully that wasn't too long winded folks, but I want to thank DB for taking time out, away from his lab puppy. Uh very cute dog that, uh, him and his lovely wife, Melanie have acquired and, uh, you know, thanks for coming on the off duty on duty podcast. It's always a pleasure talking to DB as he is. An invaluable wealth of information, and uh, I'm sure he has been there, done there, and has the t-shirt. So, this was episode 25 of the Off Duty On Duty podcast, and I think I'm going to title it "DB's Got a Rant." And you're going to listen. <laughs> a reminder to check out our sponsors: Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timers at Rangetechtimer.com. CCW Safe. And the Off Duty On Duty podcast is happy to offer you a 10% discount on your membership with CCW Safe at ccwsafe.com forward slash off duty 10. And of course, EDC Belt Company, makers of the foundation belt, the most comfortable, functional, concealed carry belt on the market. Check them out at edcbeltcode.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast, which hopefully is the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.